Hello and welcome back to Kyle's Internal Monologue. In this episode, we're going to be covering the Babylon 5 Season 2 episode, The Long Twilight Struggle. Uh, this is my all-time favorite episode of Babylon 5. Um, I think all of Babylon 5 is amazing, uh, and I think there are some wonderful, wonderful episodes. Uh, but to be honest, if I had to choose one episode that I think represents everything I love about the series, it would definitely be The Long Twilight Struggle. Um, I thought about this a lot because there's a lot of episodes uh, that just epitomize Babylon 5 for me. And I even did a top five. I, I write for a, uh, a website called The Daily Fandom, and uh, I did a top five for the 25th anniversary of each season, so 20, or the top 25 for 25. Thought it was pretty clever. But a lot of my favorite episodes obviously ended up on that list, and I kept trying to go through and figure out if, you know, if I had to choose my absolute favorite, uh, you know, put a gun to my head. And, you know, you have to choose your most beloved episode of Babylon 5. I, I kept coming back to this episode. There's just so many beats, so many emotional moments, so many uh, game-changing, uh, you know, events in this one episode uh, that it, it sticks with me. Um, this is the... This is what Babylon 5 is. This is the mission statement of Babylon 5. This is... Buckle in. You're 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 gonna you're you're gonna enjoy the ride. You know, kind of situation of we've been watching as the non Centauri conflict built up and built up and built up for two seasons now, and we're now seeing the culmination of some horrific events, and it's it's a gut punch. It is real emotional, honest to God, good drama. Uh this is. This is fantastic. There, there's no other word for it. This is the epitome of what television should be. This is one of the best, if not the best, episode of television I've ever seen. It's damn good. Um, and, you know, it's hard for me to say much about the episode because it's just so good. You you just have to experience it for yourself. Uh, he, and I think the the biggest ways that it, it manages to impact you is with the way it balances its tone, the way it balances its um, emotional moments with uh, some levity, with the constant sense of hope that runs through it. We see some really fucked up and dark things happen in this episode. Londo has to watch as his race... You know, his people bombard the non-home world with mass drivers. Mass drivers with themselves is a fucking scary concept of literally taking an asteroid and hurtling it at, like, lethal velocity, at terminal velocity, at a planet. Boom. That is fucking scary to even think about. And then having Londo watch that and know that it's all his fault. It's a haunting moment. You know, this is a really gut-punching, dark episode. But at the same time, we have the entire Drawl subplot. And Drawl is very dramatic and theatrical. And he's got this big, boisterous personality. And throughout it, there's this sense of hope. And that that's even 
that's even the message at the end, you know, uh, at the end of the episode of, uh, you know, we, we draw the line here, uh, you know, you know, we, against the, you know, the, 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 the parliament of conquerors and tyrants, uh, and we will hold that line no matter the cost. It knows how to balance itself to not let you wallow in the sadness and the darkness, uh, but also to give you this sense of bittersweet hopeness. Uh, of, of something good is going to happen at some point. The wheel turns. Because, you know, we we see some real shit in this episode. Just, you can't help but feel for these characters you've grown to love them uh the real people the, the that is what good writing is it's when you feel like you know these characters on a personal level Jakar, londo sheridan delin everyone in this episode you know you love you've cared about them for two seasons now and now they're they're either losing everything they fought for or gaining things that they never wanted, or watching as the mistakes come to the surface, it's it's real heartbreaking. Um, you know, this is just good drama. Um, I I think I'll I'll tackle Jakar first. So, you know, the Narn as a whole are putting on errors that they are this strong uh unified force that they're holding their own against the centauri it's not the truth um their bark is worse than their bite i suppose is the best way to put it is for a couple seasons they keep they keep egging the centauri on they want to fight you know they're they're the schoolyard bully now they were the bullied now they're the bullies and they put on this air of, uh, you know, this great military might. And they're not standing a chance. They're getting wrecked, just steamrolled by the Centauri. And they're pretending like, oh, we're holding our own. We're making it through. But as most people know, that's not how the war is going. And we get introduced to Justin, who dies in this episode... Uh, but he's he's a nice parallel uh, between Londo and Shakar, and this is something I did that didn't click with me until I viewed it multiple times. Justin is Shakar's uncle, and Shakar's uh, his favorite nephew. This connects all the way back to Midnight on the Firing Line, in which Londo has his favorite nephew on the on the the the, the uh, station that gets attacked by uh by the narn so it's it's a nice version uh and and is a parallel between londo and jakar because they are ultimately in a very similar situation um they're 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 both part of uh political factions that are moving in a way that they don't entirely approve of and are now being uh, you know, forced into positions that they didn't want or didn't expect to have. Uh, in their love of their people is what drives them the most. Uh, and this is also going to get them to a lot of trouble. Um, Jakar not only loses Justin, 
but he's starting to lose all hope. Uh, throughout this episode, he becomes more and more um, distant, I think is the best word for it. Uh, the way Andres Katsalas plays it is just beautiful, of just constantly he seems lost, he seems distant, he's he's constantly staring, you know, in the middle distance. He, he rarely makes eye contact with most people now. He, he just seems lost. He, he's, it's like something's been taken out of him. And that becomes even more apparent near the end of the episode in which he gives that speech. That speech, not only a fantastically written speech and uh, just one of those moments in Babylon 5 that will be etched into your memory forever. You'll never forget it. I know I never have. And he gives this impassioned speech, and then we see him with Sheridan, and he seems so reserved and so done. And he's, his will has been broken. His people are now enslaved again. His home world has been bombarded. People he loved and cared about died and slaughtered. He's got nothing left. And when Sheridan offers him his hand, says, I will help you in any way possible, as far as I'm allowed. And he goes, the last time I took someone's hand, I, we were at war 24 hours later. And he can't bring himself to shake it initially. But Sheridan, to his credit, doesn't say anything reassuring or moves his hand. He understands where Jakar is coming from. And let's Jakar choose what he's going to do. Jakar shakes the hand. And that's when we see him, you know, when Sheridan leaves and he folds his hand up and he looks at it and he smiles. This is the first time we've seen him do that in quite some time in this episode. And it's, he's still got hope, but it's very little. It's slowly diminishing. And... We just see him brought down so far. Just look at how he acts in previous episodes and then compare that to the scene where he requests sanctuary. Where he has to swallow his pride, swallow the pride of his people, and accept that their fate is doomed and that this is the only way he can survive. And he does it for the betterment of his people and it's hard for him. He struggles to say the words. Once again, all props go to Andreas Consulus. It's not just the words on the page. It's that actor and how amazing he is at his job that he's able to convey that emotion, that raw, impactful, you know, gut punch to you to you to really deliver home those words. And just you, your heart drops for him. You can't not feel for him. He's lost everything. Conversely, we have Londo, who you would think has gained everything. But in actual fact, he's not. He's been concerned over time to the growing uh, political faction back in the Centaurum. The Rifa 
is part of the new guard. The new guard are young and brash and don't really think their actions through. And now we see that in full-blown. The way the Narn were thinking about the war, and this is seen with just Dox and Drakkar, is basically they're going they're they're desperate enough that they're going to attempt one big victory, and if they hurt the Centauri supply lines, they make the Centauri have to question their tactics instead of going attacking, neutralizing, and securing. They they instead uh, will have to think more about supplies and and their their the the chain of resources, basically make them pay for every inch of space. It's a long prolonged war of attrition. That's the only way the Narns even stand a chance is by basically outliving the Centauri by out uh, thinking them by conserving resources by uh, attacking supply lines and resource chains. It's a smart move, but it's a desperate. they're so desperate that they take every ship that they have available, and that weakens the defenses that lets the Centauri slip through. And this is where the Centauri mindset comes in. The young, brash, new, new blood is they want a quick and decisive victory. It's not that they want to be known as the conquerors. It's not that they just attack and fight a war. It's that they fight and they win and they win quickly and efficiently. So they literally equip banned weapons to their ships, mass drivers, and they they go and attack the Narn homeworld and bomb them. Bomb them to quote Senator Contrell, who we saw uh, way back in and out for a word, bombed them back to the Stone Age, you know, uh, which within of itself shows the callousness of the way people are viewing this. It, it's something very, very, very similar to uh, uh, to real world, uh, you know, Nukem till they glow. That that you know that kind of jingoistic, uh, you know, military uh, uh, thinking. We see that this new blood, this uh, this new guard, uh, is bringing nothing but destruction in their wake, and Londo may agree with some of them, may want to see his people become conquerors again, be not laughing stocks anymore, uh, but he doesn't agree with the brutality. We see, you know. Not only does he not want Mr. Morden and his associates involved, and he only does it this one more time, and that's the that that's the Battle of Gorash Seven, which is a slaughter of of, of the Narn and the intercutting of Chakar praying, and the, the the slaughter of his uncle is fantastically done and really provides the the, the, the tragedy and horror on display, but. Now Londo has to watch as his decisions, his, you know, everything he has done to support the new guard, support Rifa, and, you know, help help with this this uh, effective coup that, that they have staged and to bring this entirety back to glory, he is watching them descend into hell. That, you know, that scene where he watches as they bombard Narn is horrifying. Once again, props to the actor. Peter Jurassic acts the living hell out of that scene. Doesn't even have to say a word. 
and the, the way it's shot too just as you watch the reflection the mass driver going off and the asteroid going from the ship into the 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 planet and we just see the reflection on the glass as we watch londo's horrified face as he sees the realities of all his mistakes all his choices and he realizes it's wrong this is this is this is where his arc has been going of seeing his mistakes we all make mistakes sometimes big ones and he's made a lot of them and now he's going to have to make amends for those mistakes. And whether he truly does that is another question. Because as we see, he has to live the realities of his mistakes now. The Centauri have won the war in this one fell swoop. It's exactly what they wanted. A quick and decisive victory. Quick and dirty. Get the job done. And he's being the ambassador has to go and give this speech in front of the League of Non-Online Worlds. The Babylon 5 Advisory Council. And he's screaming and he's yelling. He is wearing the mask of the Centauri Conqueror. And we see it in his face, just that that angry, uh, you know, that angry viper look about him. But we see it drop and we see the real Londo, what Londo really thinks, when Jakar gives his speech. And if you notice, the camera for the majority of Jakar's speech actually focuses on Londo. And when Jakar is looking across the room giving his speech and his eyes aren't directly on Londo, Londo's face drops because he knows what they're doing is wrong. He doesn't agree with everything his people are doing. And he sees the senseless brutality of it. The And he realizes that the his glorification of the past blinded him to the realities of the situation and now he's seen the realities again and he's realizing just how awful it was nostalgia is one hell of a drug and the cycles of violence continue it, it it's horrifying and then later near the end of the episode you know we see him uh, listening to the news broadcast about how the non-Centauri conflict has come to an end, and he seems happy. You know, as horrible as the way it ended, at least it's over. Nothing like this will happen again. But he didn't think of it. He didn't think of what this meant to his people. His people have reclaimed their glory, reclaimed everything that is that he loved about them too. The, the, you know, the, the, the renaissance of power he yearned for. Uh, way back in science importance and they've started other skirmishes other wars uh, they need a breathing room and he realizes that the non-centauri conflict was only the first step of a much larger and growing issue the, the centauri are now the conquerors again what, what does a conqueror need a warlord need to continue their reputation they need a war. They need conflict. And they'll continue that for a very long time. And he has to live with the knowledge that he is the one that instigated it all. Powerful stuff. Once again, amazing, amazing episode. Um, before I get into some spoilers, I do want to talk about why I find Mass Driver scary. Um, it's not 
you know, uh, the, 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 it's not some uh, mythical science fiction, uh, you know, doomsday weapon. It's not the Death Star. It's not some, you know, sciencey, magicy type thing. What JMS did is he used real science. Mass drivers uh, is a theoretical concept uh, that uh, has been talked about for decades by scientists. And uh, it's been used on small scales to propel an object at high velocity. That's what makes it scary, is that it's something that you is so mundane. And I can't really describe the, the, all the science and physics around it because, quite honestly, I'm not smart enough. I'm not a scientist. I have a degree in creative writing. But this use of taking something that is theoretically possible in science and expanding it out into a science fiction concept of making it where it's this big massive weapon and it's effectively a gigantic railgun and you take you you just think about the damage a rock does to a human being thrown really hard i'll give an example of uh you know my granddad used to play baseball and uh, the baseball to hit him in the face and knocking out all his teeth. So now he has entirely fake teeth. Um, and that was just from a ball that was thrown at him at high speed. Now imagine you take something as gigantic as an asteroid and you propel it at high speed from space until it lands in the ground and how much of the damage that impact will do and, and how it will change the environment around it. I mean, the dinosaurs went extinct because of a gigantic meteor hitting the Earth. Now imagine one propelled at higher speeds, not naturally occurring. Imagine what that does. It's fucking scary. And the fact that that's theoretically possible in science makes it even scarier. Because you don't even have to just imagine it. This is what makes Babylon 5 special. Um is taking concepts like this, extrapolating it, and turning it into good drama. And the the way it reflects uh, on the characters, and the way it reflects in their interactions with each other, that is what makes good TV. It's what makes good storytelling. This is why this episode is so, so good, and why I hold it as the best. Um, now... I'm going to get into spoilers real quick. I don't have much to say because obviously this episode uh, is one of those episodes that so, so many big things happen. But anything I would have to talk about is mostly in the episode itself. Um, you know, uh, I think the biggest one is that we finally get confirmation that uh, that Zathras is around. Uh, that uh, he works with the Great Machine withdrawal. So obviously the Great Machine is connected to the B4 incident in some way. Obviously it, it, it can open up a hole in time, stuff like that. It's a, this mysterious machine that we're not quite sure how it exactly works. Um, the Army of Light is officially formed. Um, and that, that will become important. Uh, so many things happen in this episode and so many arcs are heading in a particular area. Um, you know, without just stating how they end, I can't really talk much about it, but, uh, it's just that 
we get confirmations of a lot of things and furthering of arcs of other things and just the way the story is told is so masterful um i can't i can't really put into words how this episode makes me feel because i it's an emotional experience watching this episode because it has highs and it has lows and you just feel the impact of everything uh i know that i have cried outright several times uh watching this episode and Drakkar's speech still gets me um it, it, it just punches you in the gut uh, this is my all-time favorite episode and while i think some uh episodes uh you know give it a good run for its money you know once we get once we get into future seasons uh held even next episode is an amazing episode uh like i said earlier on midway seasons through season two uh is when the the show really hits the ground running and it never stops and the fact that jms is now writing every episode and uh these characters are so alive as a result of the uh, the the world building and the character focused episodes that all the plot and in uh, co- characters cohese together to form one cohesive fantastic story and I know when I was watching it for the first time I walked away from this episode not sure how I'm supposed to feel I felt like I had just watched something that should have changed the world and for the most part Babylon 5 did but I don't feel like it's remembered as much as it should be because this episode in particular I remember watching and being almost in a funk for the rest of the day because I just watched you know someone's entire world effectively get destroyed someone you know Jakar has lost everything now and so is Londo the they're in they're going to a place um this is just what good television is this is what good writing is i wish more people would watch this show i wish more people would take take it and use it as the the backbone for all future serialized storytelling and just good science fiction storytelling good character writing you know, when when people are constantly looking at bad movies and asking what good writing is and giving examples, you only occasionally see Babylon 5. My opinion, it's one of the best written things of all time. And this episode proves why. And it wouldn't be what it is without the actors as well. They sell these words. These words are powerful. But they make it even more impactful to their acting. Uh, this is just one of the best damned pieces of television I've ever seen. And I constantly go back to it as an example of how you do drama, how you do writing, how you do characters, how you do science fiction, how you tell a goddamn story. Uh, so thank you for joining me, and I'll see you next time. Bye. Bye.